Oh hey, welcome to another episode of the Cocktail Podcast. I'm glad you're with me today. I'm really excited to speak to Velvet Valhalla. She's a familiar face to those who watched the first episode of Quest for the Cure. She played Vanessa, the spirit-speaking bard who ensorcelled the party and everyone in the audience. I'll give you more information on her in a bit, but first, the news. Fans of D&D in Europe and Asia-Pacific will be disappointed by the news that physical copies of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything are delayed until December 1st. Wizards attributes this delay to shipping complications by COVID-19. Of course, digital copies through official resources such as D&D Beyond are unaffected. North American D&D fans can expect no delays to the physical copies of their books. During its investors' call, Hasbro CEO, Hasbro is the parent company of Wizards of the Coast and the D&D brand, hinted that D&D may be coming to the small screen. Yep, that's right, a D&D TV show may be on the horizon. Now, these investor calls are more about sizzle than the steak, as it's about stirring up investor interest and confidence. However, with so many streaming services out now, and so much competition for unique content, it is not a stretch to imagine a streaming service being interested in purchasing the D&D library for television production. The Forgotten Realms alone would be a treasure trove of stories that could fill 30 seasons of TV. So, until we get a confirmation, I'll take this with a grain of salt, but it is still exciting. More fantasy on TV is more better. Hasbro also reported that D&D revenue is up 20% this year. 20%. This is a common theme. D&D's been setting internal sales records year over year since 2018, but this year the game was buoyed by the early access release of Baldur's Gate 3 as well. Cyberpunk 2077, the much-anticipated video game RPG from CD Projekt Red, the makers of The Witcher video games, was delayed about a month. But the tabletop RPG game from Artelsorian Games, Cyberpunk Red, is full steam ahead. The digital edition launches on November 14th, and the physical edition hits stores on November 19th. I'm going to have a lot more to say about Cyberpunk Red in the coming weeks, so keep your eyes out on social media for that. And now, my guest for today is a talented drag performer. Before the apocalypse, she hosted regular shows in Toronto and killed audiences with her hilarious pop culture rants. She hosts a podcast called Sissy That Talk, which is an opinion show dissecting RuPaul's Drag Race. They've hosted 141 episodes. 141! so there's a lot to catch up on if you've missed them. As I mentioned off the top, she generously donated her time as Vanessa and helped raise funds for Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy Research during the Quest for the Cure. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Velvet Valhalla. Hey, Velvet, thanks so much for joining me. Hi, how's it going? living the dream. I haven't, I haven't yet developed a taste for human flesh, so I could be worse. I've been gnawing at my own leg. Well, it's better that you, better that you keep it to yourself than, than to others, right? You don't want to spread Yeah, it. but I mean, slowly but surely, I'm wondering, you know what? I mean, if my leg tastes like this, what would a leg with a better diet taste like? Mm. Mine's pretty sweet at the moment from the soda pops and, and, and fast foods. But I mean, what about like a free-range human? How would that taste? Yeah, somebody, somebody just post-gym, see, see how the calf muscle tastes? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's all I want. You know, I'm I'm down to about you know three toes, so you know I'm I'm looking to expand to something a bit more meaty. I, I hear that. I hear that. So thanks so much for joining me on the Cocktail Podcast today. I really appreciate it. No problem. So, so uh, you're for those that don't know, you're a podcaster, a gamer, and you have many other talents. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for for those who aren't familiar with your work? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a drag performer. 
um, I host burlesque shows in town. Uh, I'm a former Twitch streamer, which I'm thinking about getting back in there. I had some computer issues that stopped me from doing that. I'm also mm -hmm. a, a podcaster. Uh, we talk about uh, me and my podcast partner, Alex Woods. I talk about RuPaul's Drag Race yep. at velvetvalhalla.com. And uh, presently we're on hiatus because we talk about the shows as they come out. We're sort of like a sports podcast for Drag Race. It's very uh, sort of unique. There's not a lot of people who have a take on Drag Race the way that we do. Uh, I'm also Canadian. In case yeah. you have an international audience, you know, throw that out there. <laughs> well, I know, I know we have at least, at least one listener in Mexico. So thank you for listening south, south of the border. Nice. And um, uh, of course you are, uh, you're a gamer. You joined us for uh, Quest for the Cure as, uh, as Vanessa. And we're so yeah. grateful for your participation. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. What was your, what was your first experience with Dungeons and Dragons? Well, with Dungeons and Dragons, like my first RPG experience was in high school. I actually played uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, yes. My, that was my first tabletop experience with, uh, uh, in general. I never actually got the bug for Dungeons and Dragons until I was in college. Uh, I believe uh, like fourth edition would have okay. been my first tabletop experience with it. Uh, but before that, it was, it was the classic video games, the Baldur's Gates, the Planescapes Torments. Yep. I, I loved playing those uh, growing up. Those Never were some Winter Nights? Games. Never Winter Nights. Got, got heavy into that. Played a lot of that. Always really got my interest in that. And uh, we got really into fourth edition. Um, we played a lot of fourth edition. My first real Dungeons and Dragons character was in fourth edition. Mm -hmm. uh, fourth edition was quite the monster whenever we got into it as well it was very thick yeah. there's lots and lots and lots of books and lots and lots of materials so uh, we played a bunch of fourth edition we went dormant a little bit and then uh, when the fifth edition red box came out we got back into it a little bit we mm -hmm. dabbled but we, i never really uh, got back into playing until uh, fairly recently because of the pandemic no actually um before the pandemic mm. just before the pandemic uh i i've been uh i've had some you know mental health issues i've been i've been dealing with depression mm -hmm. uh, a lot and i've been trying to find ways in order to get myself out of my house as much as i possibly could mm -hmm. so something i started doing and something that i wanted to do is i always wanted to go and, and play more dungeons and dragons but because all of my friends you know a lot of different times I was looking for ways to play. And right. one thing I found is a Toronto D&D group and they were doing pickup games in Dungeons and Dragons. And um, as a way to go and, and build and improve my mental health, I started going and attending their live games. Uh, and I was able to do that for a couple months before the, you know, the pandemic hit or I got too busy and I wasn't able to go. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what Dungeons and Dragons really started doing for me recently. Well, um, did you find that it, it helped? Yeah, for sure. It, it helps a lot because you're always, when you're trying to do pick, Dungeons and Dragons is not really a pickup game kind mm -hmm. of. Game. So when you play it in that way, when you're playing in like the, the weekly uh, Dungeons and Dragons events, like they have, um, I'm trying to remember what the names, like uh, the, the Adventurers Guild. Adventures League. Adventurous League, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one. When you're playing like that, it's it's such a different experience in how you have to take your character from one situation to another situation because you're always in a revolving door of different characters that you have, different mm -hmm. personalities at the table, different levels of experience. Uh, and I found that it really did help me because it gave me a reason to, to, to leave my house. Right. It gave me a reason to go somewhere. It gave me something to be excited about. Uh, it gave me something It gave me something to do. I was constantly thinking about it. It was, it, it was very good for me. Uh, it still remains very good for me because during the pandemic, I've been doing a lot of, you know, thinking that way as well, I'm trying to think about what to do. You know, I'm a DM as well. So yeah. I, 
constantly thinking about stories and trying to build an imaginary city. For you, for you, um, when you're when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're sort of meeting meeting new people, how do you find that you're able to uh, interact with interact with folks with new characters? Do, does that work for you, the sort of pickup style game, or do you prefer a more set group of folks? I mean, I think that it's it's always the dream to have a group of set folks and and to have that epic story because that's what yeah. Dungeons and Dragons is at its mm-hmm. core. It's 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 an epic adventure tale, and you want to have that. The thing that's interesting about pickup games, though, is you get to wonder how does your character keep interacting with other people, and you design your characters and you play your characters differently because of that. Right. Uh, one thing that I'm going to change if I ever go and play another one-off game of Dungeons and Dragons, like we did during our event, yeah. is I'm going to make sure that I come up with a, uh, I play a character that I've at least had a session zero with. Okay. That's one thing that I noticed about whenever we were doing that pickup game is that there were so many things that I got used to from the character that I was playing in my pickup game that I wish I would have had walking into the game. Okay. Um, you know, things that, uh, because really I start designing a character as, as somebody who's like a dungeon master and, and a longtime player of the game in multiple iterations, I'm trying to make characters that are engaging to the people that are around the table mm-hmm. and finding ways to go and, and make it so that other people are comfortable getting into the game as much as your character can be yeah uh that's the that's the big thing about trying to play the pickup game so i'm always trying to do my best to have like an interesting character uh a character that's that's very different a character that makes people view the game very differently and uh definitely a character that's good because in a lot of pickup games there are there are players who who want to be like a grim and gritty and dark character but whenever you play a stupid robot bard like, like th- there's no way that a grim and gritty character can really do something. One yeah. of my favorite games that I played is that my silly bard actually gave somebody else a note. He was like a paladin who ran out of his god who was having like self-esteem issues. Okay. And I wrote him a bunch of self-affirming notes that I handed to him at the end of the game that he kept with him and went to other games with them as well. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's just sort of the way it, I like to think about the game. It's, it's, it's one of those things where Dungeons & Dragons could really impact you, and it's, it's those small moments that, um, that, that can really make a difference. I, I, I played a one game where I, I was playing a wizard, and the DM, we were playing an Adventures League game. There was three of us. So I was a diviner wizard. So I banished the bad guy. And the DM's like, is that, is that your turn? Are you all done? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, I plane shift back. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, is, is that your turn? Are you done? You plane shifted back? He's like, yeah. I banish you again. You get a seven. Do you have any more plane shifts? He's like, no. <laughs> he still, that DM still talks about it. He's still, he's still shell-shocked from that, uh, from that experience. And it's those, it's those little things, those moments um, that, the paladin who you mentioned is probably going to keep those notes with them forever because it's just not something you expect necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I also like playing bards, like bards are my favorite class in the entire game, especially whenever you're going and you're walking into one of those pickup games. Cause a lot of times when you're playing the pickup games, especially in Toronto D and D group, which is the way that I, that I went through it, it's a lot mm-hmm. of very new players. And when a new player looks through it, they look at it, they're going through the character sheet and who wants to be, you know, the bard, like they, they look at it like, what's the bard, you know, like what's yeah. that about? But if you get in there and you play with somebody who knows how to use a bard effectively, 
there are people who walk away from the table who are like, I've never thought about what this class could be like. Like I never thought about this class having this much utility or being able to do this situation or that situation or um, like, like uh, there was one game that I played where we were going down a lazy river and uh, two ogres ended up coming at us and I used like a charm spell on one of them and I made them end up like, you know, uh, I used command. Okay. I used command as a bard and I made them both just run away and I totally diffused the situation and everybody's around the table looking at me like, we were about to fight these trolls and you just in one spell and like my bard never actually got up. He just like relaxing. He, depending at the time, just lazed on there, cast one spell, the two trolls ran away and everyone was like, whoa, wait, like uh, totally just averting a whole in a combat encounter and we just continued down the river and they just never thought about, you know, like, whoa, wait, you, you can just avoid combat? <laughs> whoa, 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 what's going on here? Yeah, That's something I, I always try to do. I like playing bards. I'm actually doing a charity game uh, for Autism Durham, DM'd by B. Dave Walters in a couple weeks. And I made a bard, a healing bard. He's a, it's a 17th level game. He's bard 14, wow. warlock two, cleric one. God. Okay. So it'll be, in, it'll be interesting. Um, and, uh, but I, I have a bard that I play flip and uh, he's, he's fun because I'm not, I'm not such a great singer, but I'm very good at coming up with funny parody songs yeah. Which is which is something I do on the on the Sea of Thieves stream a lot. People can actually donate channel points, and I'll write a song for them. But yeah. uh, I that's that's my fun with playing a bard is is coming up with those bad songs. To me, though, I think that there's more to bards than just singing, and I don't I don't think a lot of people actually go and put that thought into it because I think that singing is like the core part of the class. But to me, I think a bard is a performance caster. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like performance, like high performance. I mean, like you can have a bard who's a mime. Like, what would mm -hmm. that be like? like? Like thinking about things like that. I think that a, a bard is a caster class who has a performance element in terms of how they cast their spell or a story element in how they cast their spell. Mm -hmm. Like in the quest for the cure game, my character was all about trying to be um, a, a storyteller for uh, the spirits that haunted her around mm -hmm. her character. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of what I wanted to be. I'm always trying to explore and expand on that. Not that I haven't made my singing bards, like my, my, uh, Warforged bard that I play has a speaker in his chest and he plays MIDI music and is, is you know, crazy. Uh, my first bard character uh, was a, a 60 year old Iggy Pop like burned out rock star who everybody knew in every tavern. Uh, but he's like down on his luck and he had a, a potion addiction that he was trying to get over. Like, you know, I got, you, you could explore all sorts of things in, 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 in the bard. You know, you yeah, I, I, I even had a bard who, who didn't really perform at all unless you considered blade flourishes performance he was yeah. more just sort of on his own um yep yep that's, his that's, cave become, and... that's become the most popular kind of bard i find i find that the college of the college of swords bard yeah in terms of fifth edition is the most is the most popular i wanted to go as silly as possible so i'm a, a war forged bard of the college of glamour nice and uh yeah i have a hat of disguise that uh like I, I'm like exploring this whole thing. Uh, my bard has like a male side and a female side. Uh, he has like uh, eyebrows that are attached to its its face to give uh, rudimentary expressions. Of course, uh, but they're analog, so they go up and down. Um, but it's it's basically like a cartoon character. I've designed a D and D character that is a classic cartoon character brought to life. 
And nice. it's just really fun to be able to go and explore in and around that. But yeah, you know, maybe one day I'll pop it out on a live stream. <laughs> that's, that's it. There's <laughs> always, 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 always another reason to play on a live stream. Yes. So you've been playing D&D since college. You said you started with fourth edition. How would you say that uh, it's influenced you or tabletop role-playing games in general have influenced you either in your personal life or as a performance? I know you touched on it a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could expand on that. Um. It's really hard to say. Like, uh, I started drag. I I used to I used to be in the Rocky Horror Picture Show Shadowcast, and I was Frankenfurter once, uh, and I I was a mess as Frankenfurter. So I went on a, a giant rabbit hole exploration on teaching myself how to do makeup, which is where I ended up teaching myself how to do drag because I was teaching myself how to do Frankenfurter makeup through, you know, learning the skills right, right. of drag. Uh, but the drag skills ended up becoming into cosplay, which cosplay hosting. This is before cosplay is as big as it is right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the things that I was doing when I was exploring my makeup and exploring the things that I was doing all had to do with uh, role play and Dungeons and Dragons and, and all of that you know, kind of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, in, my, in my real life, I work behind the scenes on film, television and theater and rock and roll and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, uh, that's a part of the reason why I'm so drawn to bards. I get uh, partially I am a bard in, in some ways. Right. I, much as I'm not on stage. I'm always side stage. Like I'm tangentially involved in that, in that whole performing aspect of it. So, I mean, I think that I, I like Dungeons and Dragons because it's a, it's a way that I can merge myself with a fantasy world. And like, I can try to blur the lines between uh, what I'm about, what the game is about, and I find it as a system, it's really fun to to do that. I'm wondering if that answered the question. Yeah, um, more or less, I, I think so. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Quest for the Cure. I know we've yeah. talked a little bit about it, but I think Vanessa, your character that you played in game one, was very popular with her card magic. Where did you, what was the origin of, of the card magic and, and the spirits bar? Where did you get the idea for the character in I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Well, um, as a dungeon master, you're always making characters constantly. Like mm-hmm. right now, I'm trying to build a homebrew. I'm, I'm building a homebrew city, uh, and I'm mapping it all out. And every character that I come up with in my mind, I throw inside the city. And Vanessa is now part of my city, right. which is what I came up with. Uh, to me, though, I like in Dungeons and Dragons. I like looking at the the stats that aren't your base stats. I like looking at performance and character manipulation and, and all that kind of stuff. Those are the things that I look at. And that's what I always try to go and build a character around. Mm-hmm. Like I build a character around concepts as opposed to looking at a skill that I like. Like if I, if I see something like uh, in fourth edition, my first bard was all based around uh, one feat that is like, Oh, uh, it, it was a feat like, um, I think I know you or something like that. It's when you can okay. walk anywhere and somebody would recognize who you are. And I'm like, oh, well, wouldn't that be great if you were a bard who had this feat, who's like an old rock star who could, and that's sort of how my thinking goes. Right, right. With Vanessa though, uh, Unearthed Arcana came out and I read it and I really enjoyed everything about Unearthed Arcana, like what I was reading in there and sort of, I think I watched the interview where Chris Perkins talked about what they wanted to do and what their goals were with that character class in Unearthed Arcana and how they were trying to explore um, the more sort of uh, Ravenloft version of what a bard would be mm-hmm. and um, you know, a, a storytelling bard and stuff like that. And it really spoke to me about you know, sort of what my thinking about the character class was about 
And uh, I always try to come up with some sort of like hook that I can have, which I think is very important in pickup games. Is if your character has a hook that people can really get into, then that just helps other people around the table understand your character and then get into it. And just in my mind, as soon as I read all this stuff and I thought about it, I'm like, well, what if I have a, a bard who has this deck of cards and the deck of cards just like, it, it's every deck of cards has a story in it. My, my original thought, was I have I have a deck of cards. I bought a, a, taro, a Taroka deck. Okay. Taroka deck. And I was going to have the Taroka deck at the table, and I was going to actually live draw cards as I was playing. and I, Or I would do this at the table. I would live draw cards as I was playing, and I would use those as suggestions for the stories that I would tell whenever I'm trying to go and use a Bardic Inspiration or I'm trying to... Um, you know, uh, use the, the 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 spirits and stuff like that. I, I try to develop um, iconography, iconography, okay, for for like the spell, so people can see that. Okay, well, when I do this maneuver, I'm about to cast this spell. Like one thing I got into the game, it was whenever I was trying to go and and use my bardic inspiration to go and pick one of the six spirits. I, I had I, I came up with it once and I'm like, okay, I like this. And I just kept building upon that where I, I fanned the cards out and I picked one of the six cards and I, I, you know, I threw that out and that was one of the stories. So, um, yeah, I'm, where do I come up with my characters? I don't I, I find a thread and I pull on that thread and I come up with things until I, I finally get to the conclusion that I have. And that's, that's sort of what Vanessa is about. Vanessa was all about that card magic. A lot of that card magic came I came up with on the spot while I was there. Um, as as I was starting to, as I was describing things, I was finding the things that people were reacting to at the table, mm -hmm. and, as well as things that I really enjoyed. Whenever I was, you know, kind of doing the descriptions, and I was, as the game went on, I was doubling down on the things that were working, um, and uh, you know, kind of doing away with some of the other things. Um, I knew for sure that at the beginning of the game, I was going to do more descriptions than in the middle of the game, and then I was going to end it with one big description, just so that I could make sure that everybody around the table had their time. Because I also think that that's a very important thing in Dungeons and Dragons. It's not sucking all the air out of the room. Yeah, a hundred percent, especially especially on a stream where everybody wants to participate and there's only a limited amount of time. Yes. And even probably more so in a than in a regular home game because if somebody is sucking up too much, too much oxygen, it becomes sort of, not such a great experience for the people yeah. who's watching. Yeah. It's sometimes you need that player though. Sometimes you need the player to be the catalyst, to be the spark that gets everybody else going. But at a certain point, somebody who does that ends up being detrimental to your game and however you're playing it. Yeah. So you have to find that fine line. And I think that, that the fine line between making interesting choices in the game um, and being too overbearing where everybody hates you. Yeah. That's which is a fun. That's a fun line to play. Yeah, dragons. Yeah, it's it's the best. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned off the top that you host a podcast, uh, Sissy That Talk. It's um uh, a RuPaul opinion drag race. How did that start? I know you're up to 140 or so episodes, right? 141. 141 episodes. So that's yeah. and they're an hour each. Depends. Uh, we have gone almost three. I think our longest podcast is getting close to three hours okay in one single episode wow um on average i would say our average episode is an hour 20 okay that's what i that's what i would put it at we get we go between an hour to an hour and 20 in the modern iteration we've tried really hard to 
to not go and get past two hours, even though we've consistently, we do get there. Yeah. Sometimes we get really excited because we end up hating ourselves and we're editing the thing. Yeah. Like, it's that, that becomes the worst. Like, man, the discussion is so good, but I'm so tired of hearing myself talk. I'm just so tired of it. I can't take this. So you have to edit in parts and then you're trying to get it out in deadline. It's a, it's a whole thing. Uh, how did it start? Mm -hmm. uh, so I host a burlesque show and my whole drag persona started from this burlesque show. Okay. I'm not, I'm not much of a performer outside of my own little circle. Uh, performing is what I do on the side as a hobby. It's not my job. Right. Uh, I like my job, but I also like having side hobbies and drag is one of my side hobbies. So uh, I hosted this burlesque show for a long time. I developed a character for the, for the drag show, which is basically just, you know, a, a version of me amped up to 11 in a dress and heels. Right. And, uh, you know, we, we actually had a lot of really good momentum coming from that character. And we got to a point where it seemed like the burlesque show was going to uh, stop happening or it was going to go away for a prolonged amount of time. And mm -hmm. uh, me and uh, my roommate at the time and my production partner and a lot of the things that I do live, we sat down and we were like, well, we have this, Velvet Valhalla character who's known, is there a way that we can leverage this and try to go and build our own thing off of it and branch right. it off and go and do things like that? So we started talking about it. And uh, I had done some hosting for uh, a con called Atomic Lollipop, which was sort of like an anime, Canadiana, weird rave party thing that happened. Yep. I had a, I had a really um, successful and positive evening hosting a Would You Rather panel. And I just had, the, I had a room full of people that I had in the palm of my hand, just yelling and screaming back and forth, but being exactly quiet when they needed to be. It was this crazy thing. And I decided that, okay, well, what if we did a Would You Rather podcast? And that was the first podcast we did, which was called Would You Rather with Velvet Valhalla. It was a, a five-person roundtable with me as the host, right. so me and four people. Uh, me and my podcast partner would write out five questions, and then everybody around, we'd have uh, you know a discussion and a free-for-all about what you would think and... You know, it, it's a good time. Comedy podcast. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I think we got to 35 episodes on that. But as we were doing that, we also decided to go and do Sissy That Talk on top of it because me and my roommate would watch Drag Race and then we would sit inside our living room and we'd have the exact discussions that we have recorded 141 times. Right. So we said, well, we got all this recording equipment. It's just me and you. Like, why don't we just, instead of sitting in our living room talking to ourselves, Let's just go downstairs and record it and then just throw it out there. We, we have all the equipment. We have the know-how. Let's just do it. So we did that. And ultimately, what it came down to is we've done 141 episodes of Sissy That Talk, but we only did 35 episodes of, uh, of Would You Rather, uh, even though like Would You Rather had its own complications because we had to write every single week. We had to try to book guests. We had, mm -hmm. to, we had to edit it all, get it out on time. It was, it was a lot of work trying to go and do that. I would not suggest to anybody out there to try to have a rotating four guest podcast as your first endeavor. That's uh, that is a, a recipe to burn yourself out. I have, I have a rotating one guest podcast and that that's challenging enough. <laughs> I can't imagine trying to get four fresh guests every week. Yeah, it's crazy, especially in the pandemic. Like the pandemic makes things easier, but also makes things harder. Uh, we had to transition. Like if you listen to the newest episodes, you can actually like hear the pandemic happen live because the, the, we started the, the new season of the American version of Drag Race mm -hmm. just as the pandemic was about to hit. Like the first episodes came out a week or two before lockdown started happening. 
So we only got one or two episodes in on our regular in-person before we had to go and transition to try to do everything digitally. Right. So, you know, we learned a lot about, about doing that, but, you know, and we've, we've adjusted well to trying to go and talk over a screen. Uh, but the, the feeling of having an in-person discussion, um, you know, that, that is something that ends up missing in audio. Uh, but, you know, eventually we'll be back. We'll be back yeah. to in-person. That's the way it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. For me, for the purposes of recording this particular podcast, I've been able to talk to some amazing folks from all across North America, which might not have been possible had I uh, had the pandemic not happened, because mm. I may not have necessarily reached out to some of the folks that yeah. I wouldn't have brought in my circle. Because, you know, I started with folks who are from Toronto that I'd met and I've been able to talk to people from all over. So if it wasn't for the pandemic, I might not have tried is basically it, how it worked out for me. It, ta- it takes everything, like everything, right? Everything's a learning experience. And as much as the pandemic has sucked and has taken us away from having in-person contact with each other, it's opened a lot of avenues for people to have discussions in situations they never would have before because everybody is already getting used to having these digital discussions and conversations with each other. Like that barrier to entry is already down. Right. Mm So, you know, now those groups of people can actually come together uh, in a way that's as close to somebody who's living in your same city. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Wild time, wild times. So what's, what's next for velvet? Uh, She's got the, the next edition of RuPaul's drag race comes out. When, when's the next to see that talk? We don't know. that's the the thing and they're very bad at having a a, a long period of announcements okay they'll go like hey look new season of drag race is happening in a month and we're like oh damn okay we have to find out okay like when we know a a date we still have to record a podcast before the first episode happens where we give our first impressions on everything like there's a whole thing that has to happen right we get about a month and a half maybe if at best a month and a half to know when the next edition of of RuPaul's Drag Race is going to happen so that we can get the fires back up on the podcast. So uh, likely it's going to be happening around March. That's sort of end of March, beginning of April. That's whenever the, the, the cycle starts to, be, starts to begin. Mm-hmm. It might be later this year because the pandemic is going to have a lot of shooting schedules pushed back. Yeah. So normally they would be starting to shoot the season about right now in order to get it out for about March. So uh, again, I don't, really watch, I don't really watch and read a lot of the, the rumor sheets and stuff like that. I, I like to try to keep myself in a, in a personal bubble about mm-hmm. everything that I'm doing um, yeah. mm-hmm. in Drag Race. So I'm not sure. I'm hoping around March is when we come back. Uh, we might do a couple of one-offs before then. Um, you know, there might be one around Christmas. There might be one just after New Year's. I'm not sure. It just, it all comes down to, hey, what do we do? You know, what do we, what do we want to do? What do we have time for? Uh, people are starting to get busy again. So uh, you know, it's, it's not as a, a freeing as it used to be. So yeah, when are we back? I don't know. Check us out. VelvetVahala.com. Follow me on Twitter. VelvetVahala. Follow me on Instagram. Watch me post nothing. That's what uh, I in my podcast. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I look forward to hearing your podcast again when it resumes. And more importantly, perhaps seeing you again for another uh, episode of Quest for the Cure at some point in the future, should one, should one happen, which it will eventually. You let me know. I'm, I'm, all, I'm happy to go and bring another bard out. And, well, uh, oh, why not the same bard? Uh, it might be the same bard. It might be the same bard. It depends on what happens. It's unearthed arcana. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if those rules are going to disappear off of D&D Beyond. Um, likely, you might see my robot. 
you know if so so there's the teaser if i if i show up on that list you get to experience the uh the full uh, fury and power of unit 19237 aka Barry the bard aka britney the bard uh and all of its incredibly quirky and strangeness because it is it. the weirdest character i've ever made and i absolutely adore it Velvet, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. Take care. And that's the show for today. Thanks for joining me. And remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count.